Welcome to the Pubcast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Hello, and welcome to the Pubcast. I'm Avi Gibson, and it is my pleasure to be sitting here today with the esteemed cartoonist Dana Simpson. Hi, thank you for calling me esteemed. You're, you're very welcome. I've been reading your comics for some time. I am a big fan of Phoebe and her unicorn, or uh, as it was formerly known, Heavenly Nostrils. Yes, it was originally Heavenly Nostrils Online. The syndicate made me change it when we launched in newspapers. And I sort of miss Heavenly Nostrils as a title. I said to them at the time, you know, you you commission a comic strip from somebody whose favorite band is Toad the Wet Sprocket, you're going to get weird titles. But they felt <laughs> newspaper editors were too small-c conservative for a title that weird. So first Barnes & Noble made us change the book title, and then when we launched the newspapers, they maybe changed the strip title to, to Phoebe and her Unicorn, which is a clearer description, but maybe not as much fun. Uh, no, it definitely lacks the, the, the kind of whimsy that Heavenly Nostrils has. The title Heavenly Nostrils refers to the name Marigold Heavenly Nostrils, which is the name of the unicorn in the strip, which is a name that I got by typing my name into an online unicorn name generator. Phoebe and her unicorn, this really took off with the uh, comic strip Superstar competition in 2009, yes? Yes, and I won that contest, which was like a talent search contest for Universal Press Syndicate. It was it was a classic example of uh, preparation meeting opportunity, because I'd been a web cartoonist for 10 years at that time, and I'd just about given up on ever getting my work syndicated. I did a webcomic called Ozzy and Millie for 10 years. Uh, I had always wanted that to be in newspaper syndication, as long as I'd been doing it, which was all the way back to college. I was 19 when I started it. Oh, wow. And, yeah realized my sophomore year of college that was what I wanted to do. But I always wanted it to be in newspaper syndication. It always had a cult following, and it still does, and I'm glad people love it. But uh, I wanted I wanted newspaper syndication, not least of all because it would have meant getting paid more. Um, it's hard to make money as a web cartoonist, even one with a cult following. Yes. And I had failed at that. Uh, I mean, I, I think Ozzy and Millie was successful in a lot of ways, but ability to get syndicated was objectively not one of them. And I had given up on that, and then almost right after I ended that strip, Comic Strip Superstar happened. And having done a webcomic for 10 years, I, as equipped as anybody in the world to win that. Um, and the prize was a contract to develop a comic strip for syndication, and also a book contract. And I not only was, re I think, really good by then, because I'd been doing it for a long time, but also I had an existing audience that I could tell, hey, vote for me. And I think that was part of how I won. Yeah, now, I have been reading webcomics for a long time. I did not know there were webcomics in 1998. Yeah, uh, some of the first ones go back as far as 95. By the time I started in, 19, in 1998, when I posted the first Ozzy and Millie strips online, the internet was a really different place then, and there were not very many comics, but there were a few. I, so I, I started doing, a, I didn't really mean to start doing a webcomic. I wanted to do a syndicated comic, and I put it on the web because that was the avenue I had to get feedback and, and develop an audience. And then my failure to manage to get it syndicated just meant that I became 
a reluctant web cartoonist. And then web cartooning became much more of a thing as I went along. Yeah, what what did you have to do back then to get a comic on the web? What was uh, the That's entire a, business of web? It's comics a good like? question because it was different. There was no WordPress then. Uh, I had to code my own HTML. Getting oh, your own goodness. domain name cost like a lot more. Now you can get one for like. I don't know, what, like eight bucks or some stupid thing. But back in those days, lots of webcomics like, didn't have their own domain name. Like mine was just my computer account at my college. So it wasn't even that easy to find it. And I had to code my own HTML. Every day when the strip updated, I would upload the comic and then change the, ATM, the HTML so it would be there. Uh, I had to, like everything loaded so slowly back then that I had to make sure there were all progressive GIFs uh, because if it loaded like from the top down, all the dialogue would load like a minute before any of the artwork. You know, of course, files that size, you just you right now they just appear instantly. But back then, the internet was slow. So you you really had to be on top of the back end of the page uh, if you wanted to get anything it, done. You, yeah, you had to be hands deep. You did, in and I don't. I mean, all my knowledge of that subject is 15 years out of date now because because I stopped having <laughs> to do it. But even then, like I was never, I was never a web designer. I was never a programmer. I was I, I knew the bare minimum of HTML. You needed to know to do that. And I frequently, when I wanted something on my web page that like somebody else had, I would just steal their code and plug it into my page. Oh, and just go in and, and <laughs> like copy and paste the HTML from that page into the HTML from your page. It's weird to talk about this now because I barely like know how web pages work anymore because I don't have to know that. But at the time, if you wanted anything done, you had to do it yourself. I see. Um, yeah, I, I also have it that uh, Ozzy and Millie was picked up by Keenspot, or or you worked with yeah, Keenspot? Yeah, Ozzy and Millie ran on Keenspot for a long time, and that was that was like the first way that I made much of any money. Being on Keenspot wasn't... I, mean, I wasn't getting rich going there, but I was getting paid, which I kind of hadn't been up to that point. I was just doing it for the exposure up until Keenspot. And I was on Keenspot, I think I started there in 2001, and I left there permanently when I ended the strips that were going there in like beginning of 2009. Was that just because you were, you were done with the comics? Yeah, no, or? my relationship with them was always good. I was just that I was done doing that. And I thought I was done doing comic strips altogether. I was getting my portfolio together and I was going to become a children's book illustrator. That was what I thought was maybe my next career path. And then Comic Strip Superstar pulled me right back into doing comics. And then I had a contract to do what I'd always been trying to do, uh, to do a syndicated strip. Back in 1998, you had to pretty much write every aspect of the comic yourself. And I and I don't just mean um, characters and bubbles, but literally yeah. writing the code. And at the time that I um, did the first ones, I didn't even own a scanner. So I had to go to my college's computer lab and use their scanner to scan the strips in. Then I put them on a floppy disk. God, I'm old. And take it back to my dorm room and up and <laughs> it up to the server from there. there. There's an apocryphal story about someone bringing a floppy disk into a modern school and all the kids move around it, marveling that someone 3D printed <laughs> a save icon. I believe that. I, I actually spent this week going to elementary schools in Chicago, 
And I, when I talk to the kids, when like I'm telling the story of my career, I I always tell them like there wasn't an internet until I was already in high school. And they gasp like I'm telling them, like I'm telling them that I'm from the era when dinosaurs roamed the earth. So people that were born in 2007, Uh, they have no idea what it was like to grow up without the internet. Uh, heavenly nostrils, very different to put on. Yeah, very. I don't do anything. I mean, I upload it. And that's it. And I don't even have to scan it anymore because around 2007, I started doing all of my work digitally instead of on paper, which, by the way, was a huge transformation and kind of revolutionized my process when I finally gave in and, and started using a drawing tablet. And yeah, I upload, I, I do the strips, I upload them to the server, and then someone in Kansas City colors them, and then they find their way onto the internet and into newspapers from there. Yeah, so what's it like working with Universal? I will say they've been terrific to me. They continue to be terrific to me. I really like the people there. I visited the the mothership in Kansas City for the first time in September. Uh, working with Andrews McMeal Universal, has they treat me very, very well. And they do a lot of the work for me that I used to have to do. I mean, I'm pretty far from when I had to code my own HTML. They, I don't even have to color my own strips anymore. So what exactly do they do for you? They publicize the strip and sell it to newspapers there's a guy named his name is dave and he is there's like i don't know maybe three of these people for the country dave is the west coast guy so he's the one i've met who go to newspapers and try to convince them to buy the strip and recently i picked up a whole bunch of newspapers when the strip stone soup ended by my friend jan elliott and it was sad that that ended because that was a great strip but i will have to look that up but when that happened, when after 25 years of syndication, Jan brought Stone Soup to a close, I inherited a lot of her real estate because the syndicate was like, hey, we're ending this strip, but how about this one? And I picked up like 25 more papers then. Oh, wow. That's the kind of thing that, that they do. For, they go around to newspapers and tell them, hey, we've got this great strip. You should run it. And then I get a share of the profits from that and from uh, advertising revenues when the strip is online. I was wondering about this going to the interview. Do you have to prepare uh, the average strip of Heavenly Nostrils now three different ways? Uh, one for web, one for newsprint, and one for the book volume? Uh, wh- what differs between the, the handling of the comic in between each different medium? Well, the question of the book is actually an interesting one because uh, the strip existed for two and a half years online before we even published the first book. So as a result, and the books cover about seven months worth of strips and uh, come out about every nine months. So we are years ahead on publishing the strips in books. We're not even up to the point where there are where the strips that have been in the newspapers are appearing in books. That doesn't happen until about book five. There are two currently. Uh, the third one's coming out in February. So there's a bit of lag on that. And those old strips were never in color. Like, they get colored mm-hmm. for the books now because there's no color, no existing color version of them, although they're colored by the same person who colors the dailies. When I upload, the, I only have to create one version when I upload stuff for print and online, and the syndicate does all of that for me. They, they color it, and the, version that, the color version that appears on the website 
and the version that appears in newspapers that run daily comics in color are the same version. Not every newspaper runs them in color. So sometimes the black and white version, as I upload it, runs in a lot of newspapers. I also noticed that uh, going back in the webcomic archive, uh, you went from a four-panel horizontal layout to a kind of two-by-two vertical layout at some point. I did some of that during like the last few months before the strip started online. I always could, or or not online, in newspapers. I always could do that, but those were reruns, and basically I was just trying to give people some added value. I colored colored some strips myself. I ran them at a sort of two panels stacked on top of two other panels because – they have to, I have to upload them at a certain width, but there's no limit at all in height. So if I stacked them that way, uh, people got a higher resolution version of the artwork. And I was really trying to keep complaining about all the reruns to a minimum. And the reason there were so many reruns then is that ratcheting up to the newspaper launch was a lot of work. Like they, We had the sales kit of six weeks worth of strips. It also was the first six weeks that newspapers ran. And we spent a year and a half preparing the sales kit, doing because they wanted six weeks of perfection. Oh, wow. And so we went through a bunch of different versions and a bunch of layers and layers of editing by a bunch of people. They At one point, they brought in an outside writer to help us like go over it. It was um, Ruben Bowling, who does the strip Tom the Dancing Bug, came in and... Uh, was like brought in to give us suggestions on how to make the dialogue as sharp as possible. Although I am proud of the fact that while he gave us some suggestions, all of the punchlines are pure me. (laughs) Wonderful. He did not alter any of the the punchlines ultimately. And I think his main job in the process was sort of to tell them, hey, chill, she's got this. Good. That's good when the uh, producers, though the publishers, have a a strong trust in the authors they are producing for the most part too i'm not heavily edited and technically i don't have to listen to my editor most of the time i usually do because she's usually right (laughs) my editor my editor's name is sheena and sheena is a really good editor i think i mean i really enjoy working with her and i send her my roughs and she gives me editing notes and most of the time i do what she says or at least i like incorporate what she says into the next round of edits and this is different for me cuz Ozzy and Millie was never edited i never had an editor i didn't even like write two drafts of the strip most of the time i would just write it and then i would draw it and then that would be done whereas now i go through layers of editing and sheena will say stuff to me like you don't need that third panel uh, or Phoebe's line there is unnecessary, or uh, it would be clearer if you did this. And now I sort of have an inner Sheena. Uh, after so- I've been working with her for years. Every every time now that I like am tempted to do something that Sheena has frequently criticized, my inner Sheena is like, no, don't do that. Like there's a there's a, there's like a, a thing that a lot of cartoonists do too much, where there's like. First panel, someone says something. Second panel, the second character responds. Third panel, pause, nothing is said. Fourth panel, punchline. And that third pause panel is frequently unnecessary. But for some reason, every cartoonist does that too much. And like Sheena kind of weaned me off of that. And now when I write something and there's a third pause panel, my inner Sheena's like, no, you don't need that. And now I look at Ozzy and Millie and I see nothing but unnecessary pause panels. (laughs) 
That's fascinating. I'm, I'm currently reading through the archive of Ozzy and Melly. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for that now. Yeah, once you see it, I think you'll notice there's a lot of it. And just other stuff, like, she's, she's really tightened my writing up in a lot of ways. And I think that's been one of her most useful contributions to my work. I think having an editor who keeps an eye out for stuff that's overwritten or underwritten, mostly overwritten in my case, that's made me a much tighter, much better writer. And comic strips are the art of minimalism in a lot of ways. The more you talk, the less space there is for artwork. You, so, you get the uh, Bill Watterson uh, talking head ailment. Yeah, or you get panels that are two-thirds text, which is really just... That's in- intimidating to look at. It's like, no, I'm, now I have to read all of that, which is not ideal for comics as a form because the whole point is the artwork and the words working together. And if the words start crowding out the artwork, that's no good. So getting it as tight as possible while still maintaining... Like, Marigold has to have her own individual voice, and she uses a lot of longer words, and, and you know, there's there's always that consideration. But in general, you want to say it as, in as few words as you can. I, I did want to ask, how did the book form come about? They had to publish the first book, because I won that contract in the Comic Strip Superstar Contest. There was always going to be a first book of it. So, as as winning the contest part of what you won was the first collection in a book form. Yeah, I won three contracts for three things. Uh, Online syndication. So from the very moment that I won, it was inevitable that they would at least run whatever strip I made on their website, on gocomics.com. And a development contract for a syndicated strip, which basically meant that they paid me a small amount of money every month to try and develop a strip that they could launch in newspapers. And that was a two-year contract, and we used the entire two years, during which the strip changed a lot. And the goal, because of that, was always to create something that would get syndicated. And the third thing was the book contract. And they had to publish a book of the strips because we had a signed contract that said they had to. So we put together the first one. They told me, we'd like to publish this as part of our AMP Comics for Kids series, which also includes stuff like uh, Big Nate, and there's some Peanuts stuff in there. Uh, The uh, illustration along with the words and kind of book-comic hybrid? Kind of, yeah. It's sort of like a people who read my book frequently, books now, frequently refer to them as graphic novels. I won a Washington State Book Award recently, and I, I laughed because it was. I kept saying I just won a book award for something I didn't write as a book. But but people who approach the books without having read the strip, I think, don't know it's a strip. They read it as a graphic novel that's sort of episodic about a little girl and a unicorn. And the after the first book did well, then they offered me a contract to publish a second one. And I felt like that was the big victory, because... They were they couldn't get out of publishing the first one, but they published the subsequent ones voluntarily. So absolutely, once you had the first one and they were asking you for the next one. And they asked me almost immediately uh, for a second one, too. It, when the, the first book had been out a couple months, and it kind of did well right away. Like it was really well received immediately. And so they were like, great, have, have a contract to do a second one, and the second one came out less than a year later. I, I do have to notice, and I, I did read the first book, um, the introduction 
written by Peter S. Beagle. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Oh my god. Um, as someone who, first off, digression, but The Last Unicorn is an incredible book. It really is. The, the way that I know Peter is from Twitter. Oh, wow. It's the craziest thing. Peter doesn't even use Twitter himself, but he has uh, his Twitter account is run by a lady named Chris Rickert. And Chris co-owns Beagle and Rickert books with him. It's in Pittsburgh, although Peter himself lives in Oakland. I'm from Pittsburgh. Cool. How you did I not know about this? Yeah, you should go there. Peter, Peter S. Beagle co-owns a bookstore there. Next Holy time cow. you're in Pittsburgh, look for it. And Chris runs Peter's Twitter account. And one day I tweeted, and this is absolutely true, without at Peter S. Beagle, there would have been no Marigold Heavenly Nostrils. Marigold is, in fact, she looks the way she does because of The Last Unicorn. She probably exists because of The Last Unicorn, because that was what sort of what impressed that idea of unicorns on me. That the elegant, and, mythological, yeah. not, not just horse with a horn. Yeah, the, and the sort of classical, like, lion tail and cloven hooves yes. and sort of deer-like, willowy form. Marigold is like the cartoony exaggeration of that idea in a lot of ways. So I owe Peter a lot, and I said that on Twitter, and then at Peter S. Beagle started tweeting back at me, and I was like... <gasps> <laughs> and I was... Yeah, I was totally unprepared for that to happen. And um, not only did that happen, but Chris was speaking as at Peter S. Beagle on Twitter. Like, Peter has read your strip, and he'll be reading it in the future, and he really likes it. And Oh, my I, God. And I, that's what I said at the time. Oh, my God. Is it, did that just happen? And then, like, the next day, or shortly after that, his manager, Mr. Connor Cochran, emailed me and was like, uh, do you need a publisher for your book? Because we, cause he owns uh, Conlon Publishing, which is Peter's current publisher. And he was like, do you need a publisher for your book? Because we'd be happy to put it out. And in any case, do you want Peter to write the introduction to your book? I, I had to, I already had a book contract. So I was sad that I had to tell him I don't need a publisher because that would have actually been fun. But I was like, yeah, absolutely. Please, please get Peter to write me a book introduction. And that was how that came into being. And he also invited me to the kickoff of the last Unicorn screening tour which was they had a new digital print of the movie that they had made, and they took it out on tour. And they would show it at movie theaters like around the country and around the world. There was like a European leg of that tour. And uh, Peter would be at the screenings, and they would like talk about the movie on stage, and Peter would sign autographs. And they invited the kickoff was in San Francisco at the Castro Theater. And they invited me to that. And the first, I'm not easily starstruck. But the first time I met Peter, my hands were sweaty. I was terrified that I'd look stupid in front of this person that I had admired for so many years. But in fact, Peter's a really nice person, and, and we think of each other as friends now. He described, he introduces me to people as a friend, and every time he does that, I kind of melt. Oh my goodness, that's, that's an incredible story. So, so Twitter is absolutely your friend. I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter, but because of Peter, I can never regret that it exists. Because it's been very good to me, at least that way. And, uh, yeah, without that technology, I probably wouldn't know Peter. So, you've conquered via webcomic. You're now running in newspapers. You've got at least five books planned, collections of this. Yeah, I expect that there will be 
at least that many. My current contract covers four. Uh, the third one will be out in February. The fourth one will come out next fall, and they're already asking me about titles. And I sent them a couple suggestions yesterday. And we'll we'll talk about that. The four, third one, second one is called Unicorn on a Roll. Have you re- Do you know who wrote the introduction to that one? Um, I don't think I've seen the second volume yet. The introduction to that one was written by Lauren Faust. Ah, yes, uh, of, of My Little Pony fame. Yes, best known as the creator of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And when we were first like doing the first book, before any of my contact with either of those people, I said my two blue sky dream choices for book introductions are Peter S. Beagle and Lauren Faust. And I went, I, I went two for two, and uh, I didn't even have to ask Peter. Peter frickin' offered. Lauren I had to approach, but she was happy to do it, and she wrote me a really, really nice introduction. And Lauren, the, both Peter and Lauren are fantastic people. That, that sounds like an incredible um, relationship and network with this field of authors, animators, and, and cartoons and everything. Yeah, the third book now, the third intro- introduction was written by, it was co-written by two people, Cory Doctorow and his seven-year-old daughter. Uh, yeah, Corey has been, by the way, very big on promoting you on his website. Yeah, and I'm ex- incredibly grateful for that. Corey and Corey and Posey wrote me a terrific introduction together. And the reason I wanted them to do it together was partly because in the, his review of, well, both of the first two books, when, they, when Corey reviewed those on BoingBoing.net, he talked about how he and his daughter read them together as bedtime stories, which I thought was awesome and sweet. And I thought it'd be cool if both of them did. And also, I'm conscious of maintaining the gender balance with these. Like, obviously, Peter is a man. Obviously, mm-hmm. Lauren is a woman. And I don't have any problem with guys writing introductions. But I sort of feel like maintaining a, a roughly even ratio of male and female introductions is, it, I don't know, it feels important. And so by getting Corey and Posey to co-write it, I've managed to maintain a 50-50 balance. I know a lot of people who have praised the comic for being uh, inclusive to everyone, to just being fun and approachable for all readers. I like to think so. I mean, I think sort of paradoxically, the stuff that's the most personal is also the stuff that's the most universal. And I think people can connect to Phoebe because I'm putting a lot of myself into Phoebe. Uh, I'm not just, she's not just like my idea of a generic kid. She's, I'm putting my actual you know, thoughts and, and memories and feelings into writing that character. And, and nobody is emotionally unique. We're all feeling the same set of emotions, usually for basically the same set of reasons. Uh, the, the particular details may vary, but there's nothing you can feel that everybody else isn't feeling. And so if you, I think, can put yourself into a character, people respond to that. So um, I, I did want to ask, now with Peanuts having just received a, a new release. I, I've seen in other interviews you've kind of teased out who you might want to voice these characters. Do you think that, that there might be a shot with this sometime down the line, or is the Peanuts I, resurgence just kind of the continuation of the giant rolling syndication that is Schultz's creation? Yeah, Schultz's creation is sort of the Goliath of comics. And by the way, I haven't seen the movie yet, although I need to. But, I have not seen it either. Uh, yeah, so I have no opinions about it. 
um, not having seen it. But yes, I would love to make a movie or a TV show or something. And yes, I have spoken to people in Hollywood about this, although it's not it's not an active project, but I do regard it as a long-term possibility and one that I'm really interested in pursuing. May I ask who you might have spoken to, what the process is for approaching something that you'd like to make into a movie? I was approached by, oh. a, pretty, by a pretty major studio about possibly doing a, a, a TV show based on it. And I was like, yes, please, let's do that. And they were like, we'll get back to you. And then that was the last I heard, and that was a while ago. Ah. But everybody has always told me that that that's normal, that Hollywood moves slowly and that's fine. And it will happen or it won't. You know, my lawyer advised me to sort of sit back and let it happen rather than chasing it because Hollywood moves slowly and you can frustrate yourself that way. And I assume my lawyer knows better about that than I do. As far as doing a movie, I have not spoken specifically to anybody about doing that, but it's very much something I'd like to do. And I have at least talked to people within Andrews McNeil Universal about someday doing some sort of project like that. I think it will be a while before you see any fruits of anything like that. But, you know, for many, many years, my unrealistic ambition was to become a syndicated newspaper cartoonist. And having managed to do that, finally, I need some other big impossible dreams to chase, and making a movie seems like a pretty good one. So I don't even mind if it takes a long time. I like having that to daydream about. Absolutely. Keep keep on swinging for the stars. My goodness, what looking at how you've gone through the years, it's really quite amazing. Um, I think the moral of my yes. yeah, the moral of my whole career is nothing's unrealistic and don't give up. Although I think there is another moral that's sort of a caveat to the first moral, which is really helps if you marry somebody with a real job. <laughs> because oh I my make, goodness yeah i make enough money that i could live on it now but for many years particularly during the web comics years i was i would have been pretty poor just doing a comic and on the web and getting rich or even making a living was always something that was really tough to do and i think it probably still is i haven't had to face that because i've had a company paying me for five years <laughs> And they weren't paying me that much at first. Under the terms of my development contract, I wasn't making that much. I started making enough money that if my husband suddenly made nothing, we would be okay, like, less than two years ago. So once once the ball started to roll, it, it's really just kept on rolling. Yeah, the growth of it is sort of exponential, and once it takes off, it takes off. But there are years where it just creeps up slowly, and it seems like nothing is happening. And I think we lose a lot of great comics that way. I, I There are people who were doing great comics on the web 10, 15 years ago who are not even doing comics anymore because they had to go support themselves. And even people like who do syndicated strips, it's possible to do a syndicated newspaper strip and not make that much money. I know people who like have had to do something else too to support their syndicated strip. And I don't have to do that because... I'm lucky and my books have done well. But it's, you know, comics are hard to make money off of and, and even hard. And I never expect to be rich, although that would be great. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep on cheering for that Hollywood deal then. I, I think that does cover most uh, of our questions here. Dana, I, 
I'm going to say thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us here at the Pubcast. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I like talking about this stuff. It has been a pleasure talking to you as well. Uh, one more time, can we have the name of your book that's coming out? Uh, the strip is called Phoebe and Her Unicorn. The next book that's coming out is called Unicorn vs. Goblins. It comes out February 23rd, wherever books are sold. Dana, thank you so much. Thank you very much. This has been the Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.